All right, come on in and find a place to sit and listen for a little bit. Amen. Uh, Pastor Chris and Karen asked me to greet you on their behalf this morning and let you know that they miss you guys and they'll be back, uh, I think, next week. Um, so they're on vacation and having a good time. So over this month, we've been sharing uh, about the new vision for the church, um, which is love God, love people, and love Warsaw. So two weeks ago, we talked about uh, loving God. Last week, we talked about loving people. And today, we're going to talk about loving Warsaw. Um, I'm going to start off by telling you guys a story this morning. Uh, it's a story about someone who's skipping church this morning. So... Um, <laughs> It's kind of how it's going to go from now on in this new, new season that we're in. If you skip church, I'm going to tell an embarrassing story about you. So um, I'd recommend making sure you're here. Uh, and some of you I have some pretty embarrassing stories on. So just kidding. This is not an embarrassing story. This is a story about Nate Wilson. Okay? So Nate Wilson, I told him I was going to tell a story about him, and so he skipped church so he didn't have to be here. Um, so I've gotten to know Nate Wilson pretty well over the last seven years. Um, seven years ago, I was, Nate was a freshman in college, and I was taking a, a trip with a bunch of people from our church to Mexico, and I approached Nate, I think he was going to Cortland at the time, and I said, hey, I'm going on this missions trip to Mexico, and I would really like it for you to go with me. So I think it would be really good for you, um, and I would love to have you come, and I'd love your help and support on the trip, and I feel like you do an awesome job. And so he was excited about it, and so he said, yeah, I think, I think I'd like to do that. So we kind of got to know each other a little bit uh, in the beginning of that time there where we were doing some training for the trip we were going to take and that kind of stuff. And then we took the trip together. We got to know each other a little bit better. Um, then he came back, and instead of going back to Cortland, he moved home, and he went to Geneseo. And during this time, he... Um, he he asked me if I would speak into his life, and he said he wanted, wanted someone to speak into his life, and he kind of had an idea of where God wanted him to get and who he wanted to be, um, but he needed some help getting there. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to. So we started getting together once a month. So once a month, Nate and I would get together, and we would talk. We'd talk about what was going on in his life. Uh, we'd talk about all kinds of stuff. We'd talk about girls, um, whatever he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about girls a lot, so we talked about girls a lot. Um, and so we got to know each other a little bit. Eventually, we spent some time hunting together. We got to know each other a little bit more. But then a couple of years later, um, I had, uh, I had, at the time, I had two guys playing drums for me, um, and one of them was moving away. So I was like kind of desperate for a drummer, and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this guy's moving away pretty soon. He was getting married, and he was moving away. So I was like, man, what are we going to do? So I was just talking to Nate about it, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Like, I'm trying to find a drummer, and I don't, I don't know. I'm, I can't lead worship from drums. So I need somebody to play. And he was like, I'd give it a shot. And I was like, really? Have you, like, ever played drums before? He's like, no. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, are you sure you want to do that? And are you willing to learn and stuff? And he's like, well, I can give it my best shot. So I was like, all right, we'll see how this goes. So from the time that he agreed to learn to play drums until the time that uh, my other drummer was moving away was four months. So he had like four months to go from picking up drumsticks to like being ready to roll every other week on a Sunday morning. He was terrified and I was terrified, so we got to know each other pretty well. 
Um, So during this time, we were getting together usually three times a week outside of worship practice, and then I was having him play in as many worship practices as possible. Um, So we spent a lot of time together. One of the things that I learned about Nate is that he is very frugal. He is like an extremely frugal person. Some people, like, they like to spend money. They enjoy spending money. Not Nate. Nate likes to save his money. It's a really good, um, it's a good thing about who he is. It's a good character quality in him. Um, he likes to be really careful with his money. He likes to spend it wisely. He believes that all of his money, all of it, came from God, and he wants to do his best to honor God with his finances. And it's something that's really important to him, and it's something he's really careful about. This became um, most evident when Nate decided he wanted to buy a truck. So Nate decided he wanted to be a truck, buy a truck, not be a truck. That would be a <laughs> different thing, whole different deal. Apparently these days you can get to be whatever you want to be. Um, so Nate, <laughs> Nate decided he wanted to buy a truck. So, um, so I kid you not when I say he shopped for a truck for a year, literally a year. He researched every possible thing you could research about trucks. He would send me, I don't think a day went by during that year that he didn't send me a link for at least one truck that he wanted me to look at. And he would say, you know, what do you think about this? There were days where he sent me 30 trucks to look at. So after a year, year of this, I was like, Nate, pick a truck, buy a truck, don't send me any more links, just pick it. It's not going to be perfect. The perfect thing doesn't exist. God will be happy with you, whatever you buy, like, just Pick whatever you think is the best and buy it. He's like, okay, you're probably right. There's not the perfect truck out there and the perfect deal. So he picked a truck and he bought a truck. And then, wouldn't you know, of course he wants to do every possible bit of preventative maintenance on the thing. If there's any place that the paint isn't perfect, he wants to fix it because he knows it's going to turn into rust. And he's just like meticulous with this thing. He's trying his best to take care of this truck and see it last as long as possible. At one point, Nate told me he had done some research and found out that the average American drives 12,000 miles a year. And he, worked, he lives in Perry, and he worked in Warsaw, and he said, I bet I can drive half that. Like, I'm going to try my best to not put miles on this truck and really take care of it. I'm like, cool, good for you. Enjoy taking care of your truck. So then one day, Nate calls me, and I figure, or he texted me, and I figured he w- it was going to be a text about something he wanted to take care of his truck or some question about it he had or whatever. And he says, so I met this girl. And I was like, okay, this is better than talking about trucks. Like, I'm sick of talking about trucks, right? So I was like, I met this girl, and she's from New Jersey, and I think I'm going to go there and see her. I was like, okay, cool. So he goes to New Jersey, and he meets this girl, and they start liking each other. And then pretty much like every, every time he has free time, now he wants to go to New Jersey. So he's driving to New Jersey, and um, so here, here Nate is, this guy who says he's going to put, you know, 6,000 miles over the course of a year on his truck, and uh, now he's starting to have feelings for this, this girl, and so the one day he texts me, and he says, so how soon is too soon to tell her I love her? And I said, well, do you love her? Because you shouldn't lie to her about this. And he says, yes, I, I, I think I do. He said, I really, I think I love this girl. And I said, well, then I don't think it's too soon to tell her. If you love her, then I think you should tell her. It's like, all right. So he tells her he loves her. And so now Nate is like in love with this girl. Not just he likes her, not she's pretty, she's nice, she's fun. He's like in love with this girl. So now it takes like five hours for him to get from his house to her her house. And pretty much if Nate has 11 hours free, 
he will be in his truck going to New Jersey. Five hours there, five hours back. If he can spend one hour with her, he's leaving. He's going to New Jersey to see this girl. He's in love with her. So I asked, I asked Nate this week. Nate was actually supposed to do sound this week, but of course he wanted to go to New Jersey, so he got Mark to sub for him. He goes to New Jersey every, t- every chance he gets. So I asked him this week, I said, hey, so you know how you're going to put 6,000 miles on your truck in a year? How many, how many miles have you put on your truck? And he sent me an emoji of like a sad face, of course, <laughs> then a cry face, then an angry face. Um, he says, well, so far I've put 16,000, and, <laughs> and he's on pace to, by the time he's owned the truck for a year, to put 24,000 miles on his truck, and I, would be, I wouldn't even be surprised if he beat that. But isn't that what happens when you fall in love? I mean, when you fall in love, you'll do things that are crazy, things that are outside of your character, things that are irrational, things that don't make any sense at all. You'll begin to do things that you never would do if you're in love with someone. And it's, a, it's been our prayer that you guys would start to fall in love with the people of Warsaw, that you would start to um, begin to love them in a way that you never have before, and that you would begin to go to great lengths to do whatever you have to do to communicate to them that you love them and that God loves them. Would you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 this morning? We're going to start reading in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Lawyer, Jesus said to him, the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he, the lawyer, said, The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What would your life look like if you began to care for your, to your, care for your neighbor as you care for yourself? What would your life look like if you began to give your, give your neighbor the benefit of the doubt in the same way that you give yourself the benefit of the doubt? Loving your neighbor as yourself is about confronting our selfish nature. When you're a child or a teenager, you're on a journey. You're on a journey away from your mother's womb and to independence. 
And on that journey, there's inherently some uh, selfishness. There's some inward looking. Um, a lot of people would look at a teenager and say that teenagers are normally pretty selfish. Well, honestly, they should be because they're looking in themselves and they're trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out how they're going to make it and how they're going to survive in the world. But the hope is that as someone comes out of being a teen and heads towards being an adult, that they begin to come out of that selfish place and begin to care for others. That's kind of the mark of someone who's coming out of an immature place and moving into a mature place is someone who begins to care for others and awareness of other people. When that happens for people who are like young adults, oftentimes that season of life is marked by an appreciation for their parents that they didn't have in the pre previous season. Maybe they felt like their parents didn't know anything. It's like their parents never understood me. They never hear me. They never understand what I'm going through. But then when you come out of that season, you become an, a young adult, oftentimes you kind of look back at your parents and you think, maybe mom and dad weren't so crazy. Maybe they did know what they were talking about. What would your li life look life like if you cared for your neighbor even remotely close to on the same plane as how you care for yourself. This is like polar opposite to American culture. In American culture, we hear, we hear things like, look out for number one. We hear things like, don't get taken advantage of. We hear things like, set up appropriate boundaries. We hear things like, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. These things could not be more opposite than what we're called to in the kingdom of God. So I started asking myself, why are we called to love our neighbor as ourselves?" As I was reading that story, that's kind of the question I was asking. And as I was asking that question and praying and looking at the story, I felt like God showed me a few reasons why we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I want to share that with you this morning. The first reason is God loves Warsaw. God loves Warsaw, or God loves our neighbor. God loves the people of Warsaw. Not only did God love Warsaw enough to send his son to die on the cross for the sins of everyone who lives in this community, but God loved Warsaw enough to have his son send each of you to Warsaw. Culture says believe what you want, but keep it to yourself. And this social pressure is silencing the church. But God is calling us to share his love with Warsaw. I understand that we live in a day where if you were to tell someone that if they don't surrender their lives to Jesus and accept his love, that they would go to hell. We live in a day where to say that to someone is probably considered hate speech. But God is still asking us to share his love. I also understand that it could be considered extremely arrogant to tell someone that if they don't give their life to Christ, they're going to go to hell. It could be considered extremely arrogant to tell someone, if you don't believe what I believe, then you're going to hell. That could be considered extremely arrogant, unless it's true. Unless God loved humanity and saw humanity in their broken place and decided to send his son to pay for the sins of, of the world unless Jesus really is the Son of God and lived a perfect and sinless life and died on the cross to shed his blood for our sins and for the sins of everyone who calls Warsaw home. 
If that is true, then I would say that the most arrogant thing that we could do is be silent. The most arrogant thing that we could do is not share his love with the people who are around us. It's really easy to look at our lives and to think, I just happen to be where I'm at by chance. Maybe I married this person and this person was from Warsaw, so that's kind of how I ended up here. Maybe I was born to this person and they happen to live in this community and that's how I ended up here. But I don't believe that any of you are here by chance. I want you to take a second and think about how much, uh, how specific and intentional God was with creation. There is not one flower that is not important and doesn't have a specific purpose. Every flower you've ever seen, every flower you haven't seen, every single one of them has a specific purpose. If you look out this, these windows over here and you see all the grass, I don't know how much grass there is over there, maybe a million blades of grass. I really have no idea. I didn't count them. I was a little busy this week. Um, <clears throat> Every blade of grass has a purpose. God didn't make any one of them by accident, but they all have a very specific purpose. And then if we look at the human body, and it's like absolutely insane the way that our bodies work, the way that how complex they are, and like how different parts all work together and need one another. It's, it's amazing. I, I saw a little clip of a show this week that talked about this company that's like on a journey to try and create um, an organ. I didn't hear which organ they were trying to create because I missed the beginning of the show. But they're trying to create an organ that they can use for, for transplants for people who need an organ. They said they had two teams. Each of them were over 100, 100 people. They're scientists and doctors. They had hundreds of millions of dollars. They had been in the process of trying to create these organs for two years and every attempt so far had failed. And God just gathered up some dust and spoke to it and breathed in it, and we have all these organs that work perfectly most of the time. I mean, it's amazing. None of you are here by chance. None of you are here by accident. God put us where he put us because he loves Warsaw. He loves the people of Warsaw, and he wants us to share his love with Warsaw. The leadership of the church believes that we're in a season where God is calling us to very, very specifically and intentionally share his love with this community. And so we want to do our best to be obedient and do that. Um, we're calling for a Love Warsaw campaign. What exactly do I mean by that? Well, I mean that we are, how many of you, football season is like right around the corner. How many of you like football? Any takers? Yeah? Okay, so... In football, sometimes they do this thing called the blitz. So basically, there's the team that's on defense, and they're like always trying to stop the offensive team from moving forward, stop them from moving the ball down the field, stop them from gaining yardage. So they're always kind of like trying to keep people in front of them, trying to keep the ball in front of them. And then sometimes they'll call a blitz. And when they call a blitz, it's like basically some of the defensive players or sometimes all of the defensive players can stop trying to hold everyone in front of them and it's almost like they go on the offensive to try and get to where the quarterback is to sack, sack the quarterback. This is a blitz, right? So we are calling for a blitz on Warsaw. And before anyone goes tackles anyone, just hear me out. I'm not, it's not a 
blitz where we tackle people. That would just be strange. Um, but we're calling for a blitz where we share the love of God with as many people as we can in this community. Um, there will be times where we might have different events um, where we share God's love with people, different events that we believe will be um, helpful in communicating God's love to people. But I honestly think the most effective, the most fruitful way that we're going to be able to share God's love with people is every person who is in this room right now, building relationships with people, looking for open doors, and looking for opportunities to share his love with people. Um, so one of the ways that we're going to do that, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to ask you guys to help us get the word out about this Love Warsaw campaign. We're going to get the word out a bunch of different ways. Um, we might do like advertising on the radio. We might make commercials. We might do all kinds of stuff. But one of the ways that we're asking you guys to help us with this is um, I'm, we're asking you guys to buy some merchandise that we um, purchased to help get that word out. So we have, like you can see, I have a Love Warsaw t-shirt. Here is a female version of a Love Warsaw t-shirt. We have water bottles that say Love Warsaw. We have coffee mugs and pens, notebooks, all kinds of stuff, okay? So what we're asking you guys to do is to consider buying some of this merchandise to help us get the word out. If Warsaw had a billboard, and I wish it did, and that might actually be a good idea for how to do this, um, if Warsaw had a billboard, we would rent that billboard and we would put Love Warsaw on it. And maybe we will make a billboard, I don't know. But right now we don't have one. So until we do have one, we're asking you guys to be our billboard. We're asking you guys to consider buying some of this merchandise and help using it to get the word out about this Love Warsaw campaign. Um, we believe that some of these um, items, if you purchase them, we believe they will be really, really helpful in starting a conversation with people um, we believe that as that logo kind of gets seen more and gets out there and people start to see it, they'll start to get curious and say, hey, like, what's this Love Warsaw thing about? A lot of you go to the Y and work out and you're taking a water bottle anyway, so why not take a water bottle that says Love Warsaw and hope that maybe God would open the door and make a place for you to share his love with someone. Um, and because some of you are probably curious, I'm sure, um, I just wanted to tell you that this is not like a money-making venture for the church. Um, we're selling the items at the cost that we got them for. This is not like a fundraising thing or something like that. Um, we purchased them as inexpensively as, as we possibly could to make them as afford affordable as possible for you guys so that we could uh, use them as a tool to get the word out there. So we're asking you to help us um, start this Love Warsaw campaign. So the first reason that I saw for why we should love our neighbor is because God loves Warsaw. The second reason is eternity is at stake. It's really, really easy to get disconnected from this reality. Like we live in life and we have these lives that we're living here and it's so easy to get like completely consumed in everyday life to the point that we don't even think about eternity. Um, in, in the scope of all of time and history, our lives are literally like a blip on the radar. Like they're really, really short in, compared to history. And history is really, really short compared to eternity. But it's so hard for us to see that sometimes. Sometimes we get so consumed with our lives and the day-to-day -day stuff and just getting food on the table and putting clean clothes on and going to work and all this stuff that we can completely forget sometimes about eternity. But I want you guys to realize that 
the people that you run into on a daily basis, those people are actually, a lot of them, if they, don't, if they haven't yet accepted the love of God, those people are going to hell. Those people are destined to eternity in hell. We don't think about that very often, but I would encourage you to start to do that. I was looking through the Bible a little bit this week and just realized afresh that the Bible is speckled all throughout with talk of hell, with warnings of hell. I was reading specifically in Mark chapter 9 where it calls hell, it speaks of hell, and it describes it as an unquenchable fire. So I grew up in this area, um, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, young boys usually like fire. I don't know why this is, but it probably has somewhat to do with the fact that um, women have a longer life expectancy than men. <laughs> that's probably part of the reason why. But I loved fire, and my friends loved fire, and we used to build fires, and we used to build fires that were as big as we possibly could, and then we would dare each other to jump over the fire or run across the fire. We'd take mason jars and fill them with gasoline and throw them at the fire and get a little Hiroshima plume going. And like, I don't even really know why. Like looking back, I'm kind of like, I can't believe some of that stuff we did. But anyways, we did. And I survived, praise the Lord. So there, because I did that, there were some times that I got very, very mild burns. So I got like very, very mild burns from a very quenchable fire. I can't even imagine what an unquenchable fire is like. Like I can't even hardly, I can't even hardly think about it. But if I do think about it, it's really terrifying. Like if, to think about getting a little burn that happened really quickly with a small fire, that was kind of uncomfortable and not fun. But I can't even imagine an unquenchable fire. Um, I was talking to a friend this week who, and maybe some of you feel similarly, so I wanted to say something about it. I was talking to a friend who um, doesn't believe that hell is a literal place. He believes that, it, as the Bible talks about hell, that it's more of a symbolic thing. I actually tend to believe in a literal hell, but let's say that, um, let's say that when the, for the sake of a conversation, that when the Bible talks about hell, it's symbolic. So if it's symbolic, and also when I talk to people about hell, I don't usually, um, I'm not talking about like um, a turn or burn kind of message about hell. I don't really feel like that's super effective or fruitful because I believe that the greatest, um, the greatest pain of hell is separation from God. So usually that's what I talk to people about. Um, but So let's say that hell is symbolic for a conversation. How does this symbolism sound to you? Unquenchable fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, complete and total separation from God. I'm like, this symbolism is not very, this is not a good picture. This is not like skipping through Letchworth on an abnormally warm autumn day. Like, this is horrible. Like, this sounds terrifying. This sounds awful. And it's really easy to get disconnected from that. But those people in our lives who we are connected with, who have not yet accepted the love of God, the Bible says that they're under the wrath of God. And they're destined to die under the wrath of God and spend eternity in hell unless we share his love with them. I want you to picture for a second, just take a second, and picture the people that you know who have not yet accepted the love of God. People you love, people you care about, friends, family. I want you to picture some of those people and realize for a second that they're, 
destined for hell unless we share the love of God with them. So these people that you're connected with, these people that you know, these people that you love, there's seven and a half billion people on this planet. And I could argue that probably there's no, none of those seven and a half billion people are better positioned than you to share the love of God with these people. I don't think there's anybody who is positioned like you are to share his love with these people. You can get into people's lives who I never could. You have connections with people that I don't have. You have connections with people that I may never meet. You have connections with people that I may never even see. Mark Twain said that the two most, most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you realize why you were born. You are not here by chance. You were born to share God's love with people. You were born to give him glory and share his love with the people around you. Yes, you may be different. Yeah, some of you are a little weird. But you were made different by God on purpose and intentionally so that you could connect with people in a, in a unique way that I never could to share his love. All of your quirks, all of your little idiosyncrasies, most of them were placed there by God. You were made unique, you were made different, and that's on, that's on purpose. That's okay. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 in the message says, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, we had, he had his eye on us. He had designed us for glorious living. Listen to this part. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Each one of you are part of what he's working out. You guys are part of the plan that he is working out in the earth. In Ephesians 2.10, we learn that we are God's workmanship. You're his handiwork. You are his best. Some of you need to realize that today. Some of you look at yourself and you feel like you don't think very highly of yourself. You don't think very much of yourself. Some of you, for whatever reason, are in a position right now where life has like beat you down and smashed you down to where you think there is more wrong with you than there is right with you. You need, to, you need to be reminded this morning that you are God's handiwork. When God looks at you, he smiles. And why is this important? Because you are a unique person in a unique place. No one else is where you are. No one else can reach the people that you can reach. No one else can touch the lives that you can touch. The fact that God made you and likes who you are should bring a confidence to your soul. It should bring a rest and a peace. You don't have to measure up against someone else because according to God's ruler, you measure up. This should bring a steady assurance to us. I felt like God wanted me to tell you this morning that you are okay. He's okay with you. You make him smile. So God loves Warsaw. Eternity is at stake. And he has positioned you to reach Warsaw with his love. 
No one else can do it. It's literally on your shoulders. And you can be confident in sharing his love because it's him who made you and he likes you. You're literally surrounded by people all throughout your life that are just like this man who was on a donkey traveling from, where was he traveling from? Jericho to Jerusalem, something like that. Jerusalem to Jericho. You have, you're surrounded by people who are just like this man, who are going through life, who are on their way, and then got knocked off their horse. I mean, doesn't that sound like life for most of you? Most of us, at some point in our life, we're like just going along, minding our own business, trying to do our best, doing our thing, and then it feels like life just slams us upside the head with something that we completely didn't expect, something we didn't see coming, something we don't feel prepared for, something that feels like more than we can handle. Isn't, does life feel like that to you guys sometimes, or is that just me? I mean, life throws some crazy stuff at you. I mean, there's been times where I feel like I've been going through life and I got hit in the face out of nowhere with something that it was like, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to process it. It feels like it's more than I can deal with. I can pretty well guarantee it's more than I can deal with because I'm flipping out right now if you haven't noticed, you know. That's what life feels like sometimes. That's what happened to that guy who was riding on that horse. And then the Samaritan came along and showed him mercy. And Jesus said that the Samaritan was the one who was a good neighbor. And then he said to the lawyer, you go and you do likewise. You go and you do likewise. And Jesus is looking at each one of you in the face right now. And you have people all around you, like this man who got knocked off their horse. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, would you go and would you show these people mercy too? Would you go and would you, would you do likewise? I want to end this morning by giving you guys two challenges. One is broad and one is narrow. The first challenge I want to give you is to find some way to embrace this vision that we feel like God gave us. Find some way to say yes. Find some area of this vision that you can put your hand to, you can put your effort and your energy to. I firmly believe that there is nothing better on this planet that we could do than to serve Jesus with our life, than to give him our best, to give him all of our effort and all of our energy. I believe that that's the best thing that each one of us could do with our life. So find some way to embrace the vision. Maybe it's something as small as buying a t-shirt or a water bottle. Maybe you feel like you could join the outreach team or join the welcome team. Find some way to embrace this vision. Maybe you can start a relationship with your neighbor. Maybe you can start to talk to someone about God who you felt for a while like you were supposed to, but you just haven't for whatever reason. Find some way to embrace the vision. And then the narrow, the specific challenge that I want to give you guys is to find someone to disciple in the next 12 months. Find someone to disciple. There's like 150 people that call this church home. From the oldest to the youngest, we're all called to be discipling people. I mean, have you guys not received some measure of the love of God? Have you guys received the love of God? Have you guys received some measure of the grace of God? Some measure of the goodness of God? I mean, has he not been like so gracious and kind to us? Even when we didn't deserve it, the Bible says that when we were far from him, he still loved us. 
when we were full of sin, he still loved us. He's been so good to us and so kind to us. So if you guys have received that from God, that means you have something you can give away. That means you have something that you can use to disciple people. So I want to encourage every one of you. I, I really do believe that if the 150 people who call this their church, the 150 people who are planted here, if each one of us began to disciple someone, I believe that we really would change Warsaw forever. I believe that Warsaw would know the love of God like it never has before. So I want to encourage everyone, don't let 12 months go by and not disciple someone. It's what we're called to do. Don't get, come around to September next year and tell me you didn't disciple someone. When we get to September next year, each one of us needs to have someone who we're discipling sitting next to us, okay? Um, and about discipling someone, um, I was preparing this message, and so I was thinking about it a little bit. Um, why not lead someone to Christ and then disciple them? Don't pick your wife and disciple her. Like, she'll be all right on her own. Let someone else disciple her. That's not going to go good anyways. Find someone who doesn't know Christ. Give them the love of Christ and then disciple them. I was thinking about this, and I was talking to April this week, and there's this guy I know who I'm pretty sure he's, he, I've known him for, I kind of know, I don't really know him. I've watched him for like 10 years, and I'm pretty sure this guy sells drugs. Um, so I've watched this guy, and you know, he's a nice guy, so I'm not too, too concerned about him. He's a nice drug dealer. Um, <laughs> So I've watched this guy, and he's, you know, I, I, he, nobody comes to his house, and then all of a sudden, there's a long line of people coming to his house, looking at their phone, and looking at his address, and then texting, and then they go in, and yeah, he's selling drugs. So I was like, you know, maybe I should call the, call the police, and maybe they don't know that this guy's selling drugs, maybe I should tell the police that he, he's selling drugs, you know? And then I was just like, I was working on this, and I was like, Getting to this part where I was going to challenge you guys, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, Lord, I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk to you about what you want to talk to me about right now. I, I'm just going to wrap up this sermon right now and be done with it because I do not want to hear what you're asking me to do. Like, are you kidding me? You want me to disciple that guy? Like, oh my gosh, he needs Jesus. I don't want to disciple him. Like, come on. Like, find someone and." It doesn't have to be the easiest discipling case on the planet. Find someone who you believe that God loves. I believe that God loves that guy. I believe God loves him a lot. And I want to share God's love with him. I want to disciple him. So I'm going to look for an opportunity to share God's love from him. Share God's love with him, even if I have to buy drugs from him. <laughs> All right, so no. just kidding. I'm not buying drugs. <laughs> Very often. Um, so we talked a couple weeks ago about how, um, how, how we're going to do ministry time a little bit different. And um, what we're going to do, uh, you can go ahead and throw some music on, Mark. Um, what we're going to do is um, we've set up these signs up here. And the HELPS team can go ahead and come forward. Uh, H stands for healing. E stands for encounter. L stands for life. P stands for prophecy. And S stands for salvation. So if you're in a place in your life where you're like, you know what, I need, I, need heal I need some healing in my body, I need healing in my soul, I've been going through something for a while and I, I need God to meet me in that place. Um, encounter, that would be an awesome place 
Um, if anybody wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you could go there and be prayed for. Maybe you feel like there's been times where you've met with God in a way that it's been like so powerful and impactful that it, like that moment that you had with God shaped your life and you're like, I need that again. I need a fresh touch from God. Then you could go to the encounter station and get prayer. Um, L stands for life. That's anyone who's like going through something. You're in this season right now. You're like this guy who was riding on a horse and got knocked off. You feel like life has like thrown you for a loop. You're in the midst of something right now that it's just more than you can even handle. That would be a great place for you to go and get prayer. Prophetic is anyone who feels like they're in a place where they just really need a word from God. You need to hear from God. You need God to speak something to you. And S is salvation. Maybe you've heard the, the message of the gospel today and you want to commit your life to Christ. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer, and if you feel like you need to leave, you can go ahead and do that. But I would encourage each of you um, to respond and come, come get ministry, come, um, come respond and just to meet with the Lord this morning. Lord, we just come to you right now, and we thank you so much for what you're doing in this church. We thank you so much for what you're doing in each one of us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're challenging us to grow. You're challenging us to become the people who you called us to be. And Lord, I ask that love for this community, the people that we're surrounded with, would grow in our hearts. We ask you to do that in us. In your name we pray, amen. If you have to leave, bless you and have an awesome week. And otherwise, you can feel free to come forward and get prayer from our helps team.